traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Hello, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I am so proud and privileged to be able to do this show. And by the way, uh, we're going to probably have an announcement in the next week or two about extending the More Money Show for an extra hour. I'm excited about this. My great friend, John Katsimatidis, who is the owner of this station, and and uh, as you know, this uh, show, More Money, is also on many other stations around the country. I am uh, I'm just privileged that I've been able to do this show. I love talking to you all. I love our regular listeners. You're the ones who've made this show a success because we have great ratings. And of course, it doesn't hurt that I follow the great Larry Kudlow on his wonderful show. And Larry is one of my best friends and he was the best man at my wedding. So I'm just, I think that helps us a lot that I get the time slot right after Larry. Uh, but I wanted to mention a few things right out of the gate here. By the way, I will take your calls at the end of the hour. The question of the week, I always have a question of the week. And this week's question is, who do you think if that uh, Donald Trump should take as his vice presidential uh, nominee? Not who do you think he will take? I want to know who do you think he will take? And let's think out of the box here. I mean, there's some obvious choices like Tim Scott. And, uh, you know, some people are talking about, uh, you know, maybe the governor of uh, South Dakota, Christy Nome. Um, I do think it would be a good thing for Trump to take a woman. But I'd love to have some thinking out of the box. And if you have someone in mind who you think would be the ideal vice presidential nominee, uh, running mate for Trump, I want to hear that. So we'll be taking your call sort of at the end of the hour, maybe in about a half an hour. That, uh, number, by the way, is 1-800-848-9222. Uh, it's the more money hotline number. Uh, 1-800-848-9222 or one 848 WABC. So um, maybe in about 30, 35 minutes, call in and let us know who you think uh, that Donald Trump should take. Who's the one who could? Uh, look, I'm a Trump guy. I know we have Republicans, Democrats, independents listening to the show, and I appreciate hearing from people of all political persuasions because we believe in freedom of speech on this radio station and on this radio show. Um, but if you're a Republican, especially, I'd love to hear your view uh, of uh, of who would help Trump the most. And by the way, if Trump wins, and I think he is going to win, whoever he chooses as his vice presidential nominee, let's not forget, will probably be the front runner for the 
presidency in 2028 because Donald Trump, of course, can only serve one more term because he's already served a term and we have a 10 year limit. So uh, looking forward to hear your choices. I'm going to tell you one person I'm thinking of and I'm just throwing this name out there. Um, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's not. But I like T- Tulsi Gabbard. She is a former Democrat who uh, I had dinner with at our committee to unleash prosperity. We had her for dinner and she's, uh, you know, a wonderful person. She served our country. She's still in the reserve. She's tough as nails. She's beautiful. She's charming. She's so knowledgeable about policy. And uh, she has a great line that I think Donald Tr- Trump needs to inject into this campaign. And her line is, I did not leave the democratic party, the democratic the Democratic Party left me. That you, if that sounds uh, a, like a recognizable saying, it's something that Ronald Reagan said in the 1970s and in 1980 when he ran for president. Because people forget that uh, through most of his life, uh, Ronald Reagan was a Democrat, but he finally realized the Democratic Party was out of touch with working class Americans. And here we are, 40 years later, and I guarantee you. That is more true than ever before today. The Democratic Party is completely out of touch with working class Americans. I know that because so many of you who are listening to the show um, are people who are working 40, 50 hours a week like I do, working hard, not getting all these government benefits. And uh, and you're Donald Trump fans because Donald Trump has turned the Republican Party into the working class party. OK, uh, I wanted to say one quick thing. Um Will you all still love, need me and will you still feed me when I'm 64? The reason I say that, of course, that's the line from the great Paul McCartney Beatles song, when I'm 64, because ladies and gentlemen, I just turned 64 years old yesterday. And so I'm feeling a little bit old, but you know, I've still got a lot of good years left in me, but I hope you'll still need me and feed me. Now that I'm 64 years old. Okay. I want to turn to some policy things. Uh, I want to tell you about some new data that was just released by the IRS this week, which shows that, uh, and, and this is really remarkable data because most, I, I want Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden and, uh, people like Bernie Sanders to look at this because they, they keep talking about the rich not paying their fair share. How many of you heard that before? The rich don't pay their fair share. The billionaires and millionaires, they don't pay any taxes. Here are the latest uh, numbers. These are the official numbers from IRS tax returns. The richest 1% in America today, are you ready for this? Pay almost half of all the income tax. So one out of 100 Americans earn about, (coughs) excuse me, about 30% of the income in this country, but they pay almost half of the income tax. So is that not paying your fair share when you're one out of a hundred and you pay half? Now let, let me kind of visualize this for you. Let's say you have a big party, a big banquet, and you have a hundred people in the room and you say, okay, um, this one person is the richest person in the room. And so it's going to be quote fair for that one person to pay half of the tab for the dinner. Half of the tab, one out of a hundred is going to pay half. And by the way, the the people below the median, the 50 of the 100, they're going to pay 2.5% because that's how much of the income tax they pay. The people below the median pay 2.5% of the income tax. The richest 1% pay almost 50%. By the way, the top 10% pay 90%. 
This is an extraordinarily progressive income tax system we have in the United States. There is no country in the world, not Sweden, not Russia, not Norway, none of these socialist countries of Europe, none of them do the rich pay a higher share of the income tax burden than the um, than in the United States of America. And in fact, when people say, do they pay, do the rich pay their fair share? I say, no, they're paying more than their fair share. In my opinion, I'm for a flat tax. I'm for a, a, a tax rate of 18% on everyone. Everyone pays 18%. You get a deduction for yourself and your kids. By the way, this is the Steve Forbes idea. He came up with this idea with my good friend Dick Army something like 25 years ago. We should have done this. We should have a flat tax. Can you imagine, folks, if we had a flat tax of 18%, how much growth and how many jobs and how many businesses we'd have in this country? The the Democrats, meanwhile, want to raise the top income tax rate to you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 percent. That's going to destroy the country. That's going to lead capital and jobs to leave the country. And they're going to go to Mexico. They're going to go to China. They're going to go to India. They're going to go to other nations. So I'm here to tell you the Trump tax cuts worked. We passed a tax cut that lowered income tax rates for everybody. And we took the highest tax rate down from over 47% to about 36%, just as Reagan cut income tax. And the other thing that we did was we cut the business taxes. And what happened as a result of that tax cut, the rich paid more, not less. And why is that? Because everyone's incomes rose. So no, we should not be radically increasing tax rates, we should be reducing them because when Ronald Reagan did it, it worked. When Donald Trump did it, it worked. When John F. Kennedy did it in the 1960s, it worked. When Calvin, I'm going to go back 100 years if I may, Calvin Coolidge, who was the first supply cider, he cut the income tax rate from 75% to I think 25%. And guess what? The rich paid more taxes. High tax rates are not the way to make an economy work. Now, I've only got a minute or two left, and I, I, I just, in my opening statement here, and I want to make one other quick point. Whether you like Donald Trump or not, and I've worked for him, I admire him greatly. I think what he did for our country was special, special, and I think we need him back. But I know a lot of you listening to the show, you may not like Donald Trump. You don't like his annex. You don't like some of the things he says. You don't like the name calling. And I don't like that too much either. But I like his policies. I love what he did for our country. And what he is going through right now, come on, folks, be fair. If you're a Democrat, by the way, I'd like to take a call from uh, Mr. Producer, from some of our Democratic listeners. Please tell me if you think that this process, what Donald Trump is going through with these, you know, 28 lawsuits against him, they want to put him in jail for crossing the street. My God, it, this is outrageous. And, you know, the, the, the idea that he uh, inflated the value of his assets and therefore he can't do business. Let me tell you something. If you sell a property, let's say I want to sell a property to you. Okay, I want to sell a copy a property to you, my listener. And I say, hey, buy my house because this house is worth a million dollars. And are you going to say, oh, okay, I'll buy it for a million dollars? No, of course you're not going to just take my word for it. 
you and I can say, oh, well, Steve Moore is an honest guy. So if he says it's worth a million dollars, I'll buy it for a million dollars. No, you're going to have someone appraise the value of the house, right? And your appraiser who works for you is going to say, well, you know, Steve Moore says that house is worth a million dollars, but it's really only worth $600,000. So I wouldn't buy it. Now, Donald Trump, basically said, hell, my, this, these properties are worth X million dollars and Y million dollars. And so now the people who bought them are saying, well, wait a minute. The government's saying, oh, no, the uh, Mar-a-Lago wasn't wor- isn't worth $40 million. Uh, it's only worth $25 million. By the way, Mar-a-Lago is worth more than he said it was, it, not less. But my point is now they're fining him $300 million for oh, inflating the values of his properties. First of all, no one overinflates the value of their property because that means you have to pay more property tax. So you have an incentive to undervalue the, you know, to, to understate the value of your property, not to overstate it. Um, if these people bought the, it's a free exchange. If these people bought the property because they think it was worth what Donald Trump says it was worth, then why is the government intervening here? There was no fraud here. There was no fraud whatsoever. Um, it's an outrageous charge and the big loser here because Donald Trump is going to win this on, on appeal. We know that we have two, uh, we have a judge and we have a prosecutor that hate Trump. This is political weaponry of using the justice system to go after political enemies. And I don't believe in Washington DC or, or New York City where 90% of the voters are Democrats. I do not believe that Donald Trump can possibly get a free, uh, a fair trial. And again, if you're, no matter what your political persuasion, you know what I say is true. Donald Trump cannot get a fair trial in, in DC. He can't get a fair trial in New York and he can't get even get a fair judge in New York. So if I sound a little angry today, I'm, I'm not a little angry. I'm furious at what they are doing to our former president. And by the way, if if um, Joe Biden had any backbone, if he had any sense of fairness, if he were an upright citizen, he would basically provide a, uh, a, a pardon to Trump so that we wouldn't be going through this. The people who are going to decide the fate of Donald Trump are the voters, the voters of this country. They are trying, these same people say, oh, Donald Trump is a danger to our democracy. If they believe so much in, in democracy, put him on the ballot. Th- these are the same people, by the way, who want to take Donald Trump off the ballot in like 22 states. Keep him on the ballot. Let the American people, me and you and everybody who is a eligible voter, decide whether they think Donald Trump should be the next president. I think he should, because I think he will rebuild this country in less than six months. Put this guy back in, but it's the decision of the voters, not judges, not corrupt juries, not corrupt prosecutors. Um, let's let all the American people decide this in November of 2024. I'll be right back. This is the More Money Show. All right, let's get David Bonson on. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Well, welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. As I was saying earlier, uh, we're hoping that we will um, we'll be doing the show now for two hours. Uh, we're going to extend the More Money Show so you can make you can have more and more money and make more money, and that's the purpose of this show. Thanks again for listening. Uh, we're try- do we have Mr. Producer David Bonson with us? 
We're trying to yes, reach you David. Do. We do. Okay. David, are you with us? I'm here. Hey, David. Thanks so much for joining. Let me introduce David Bonson. He's a brilliant guy. He's one of the top uh, investment guys in America, and he has uh, been a longtime friend. He's one of our Committee to Unleash Prosperity uh, Economic Council members. You see him in the Wall Street Journal all the time. You see him on Fox Business News and Fox News all the time. And uh, the reason I'm having Aman today is for many reasons, but not least of which is that David Bonson has a great new book, which I, I just think is so on topic right now. It's called Full Time Work and the Meaning of Life. And I love that book, David. I'm halfway through it, and I want to congratulate you for that. I do want to talk to you about the book, but David, if I may, I don't know if you heard my little uh, monologue, but I, I just am so infuriated this morning. I could barely sleep last night when this ju- this case came down, this uh, judge ruled against Donald Trump in this New York case. You know a lot more about the, how this stuff works, but look, if 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 I say I'm going to... I want to sell a property to you, David. And I say, hey, this property is worth $3 million. David, will you buy it? You're not just going to take my word for it, are you? You're going to, isn't there something called an appraisal system where you're going to turn to an appraiser and tell you, hey, Steve Moore says this property is worth $3 million. And if the appraiser comes back and says, well, you know, Steve, it's only worth $2 million. So my point is, I don't even understand what's going on here, but I do know this, David. It's people like Donald Trump that built New York. And I think the idea that he can no longer do business in New York is an outrage. Well, I actually think it's so much worse than the example you just gave, because your example definitely makes the point that um, the idea that counterparties don't do their own appraisal, that they look into valuation. Sure. You know, that's all totally true. But let's take it even a step further. Who is the victim? Because the reason appraisal matters, the reason valuation matters, when if a if a borrower says, "Hey, I'm worth this, my assets are worth this, my properties are worth this," and let's say the counterparty doesn't do any homework, doesn't do an appraisal, doesn't do any research, and then later on that borrower doesn't pay them back, well, I guess you got a problem. But they did pay back. (laughs) There was no. There was no missed payment. There was no harm. Nobody right. was fouled. And this is, and by the way, Steve, I, I want listeners to hear, I feel particularly qualified to be the one to say this here, just simply because I've been plenty critical of President Trump on different things. Yes. I, I'm, not here to, I'm not here to be a cheerleader for President right. Trump. However, right. this is the case that outrages me the most of all of them, both the civil and the criminal things out there, this one defies the imagination for how outrageous it is. Every single real estate developer in the country would go to jail if this were true. Everybody wants to have a higher valuation on assets that are serving as collateral of loans, and banks get to decide for themselves if it's a good borrower. This thing is so stupid. So who was the, I don't even understand, who's the plaintiff in this case? I mean, who's, who are the, who was supposed to be the victim of what Donald Trump did? I don't really well, understand. Well, that's, that's the thing is that you, if you had a civil suit, it would right. be legitimate if a bank said, hey, this borrower, because this right. happened in 2008, sure. there, there right. were borrowers who lied about their income that, and their right, assets. Right, right, That's not what happened here. No bank complained. No bank said we were defaulted by Donald Trump. It never happened. 
All that happened here is the state of New York, for total political purposes, pulled themselves into a situation and brought this case. And this is what Thomas Sowell talks about with disinterested third parties living in a country where someone not a party to transaction can bring a case like this is statist and totalitarian. Right. So, David, what I again, I don't I don't want to press the point too much. You know so much more about how this works than I do. And this is this is educational for our listeners. So how was New York harmed by this? They don't even claim that they were financially harmed. <laughs> so I mean, I, 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 it's just like no harm, no foul. right? I, mean, I don't understand. Maybe so I'm not. Now, okay. in, yeah. Okay. So the example would be, let's say, like, like if somebody shoots a bullet down the street and doesn't hit anybody, they can still be charged with the crime. That's not what's going on here. In right. this case, they're saying he tried to harm a banks. It just so happened that it didn't. The banks okay. aren't bringing it up, but we are. And, and again, the notion that economically borrowers want high valuations and lenders want low valuations, that's part of economics. That's part of the whole idea of borrowers and, se- and lenders and buyers and sellers yep. working yep. together to cooperatively do a deal. It's just so outrageous. So I want to change subjects for a minute. I do want to change talk to you about your book, but I want to bring up something else that is kind of a hot topic. And, and I'm talking to David Bonson, uh, who's got a great new uh, book out uh, on the importance of work. But um, did you see happen to see, David, this little video that Elon Musk put out about taxing the rich? Um, I didn't see the video, but I've read a lot of the commentary about it, and and okay. I know certainly his whole view. I think it's outstanding. So, so he made an interesting point, and I just want to because you know you've done very well. David Bonson is one of the most uh, uh, successful financial advisors in the country, and uh, so you, you know you're a wealth producer and a job producer like he is. And and I thought I'd never really thought about it this way, but he he, he it was a very pro- provocative title. He said billionaires shouldn't pay any taxes, and you know it's a very provocative thing to say. But his point was that you know if if Elon Musk has a hundred million dollars, he's going to put that to really good use. We know that because he's been successful in so many of his ventures. Um, you know when <coughs> Tesla and all these other. But he said if I give the money to Uncle Sam, they're going to waste it. And I thought, hey, you know who would you want to invest your money? Chuck Schumer or Elon Musk? Well, and therein lies the rub. This is the thing people have to understand. Always and forever, the government has no money. They don't produce any money. That's not a political statement. It's not a religious statement. It's just a mathematical statement. Any dollars the government gets come from extracting from the private sector. And so either through taxation or through borrowing. So at the end of the day, Steve, one has to ask who's going to do something more productive with money. Now, we could use this one example, hyper, brilliant, productive, successful, innovative, accomplished people like Elon Musk. We also could use as another example, the truck driver, a, a plumber, a blue collar worker. Mm-hmm. Either way, the actions being done by these private actors are more productive, more trustworthy. They have more skin in the game, more knowledge, more incentives for productive activity than the government. So at the very, very best case scenario, Mm -hmm. always and forever, the best case you get with government spending is that it's a necessary evil. We have to fund certain elements of government 
and we have to remove money from the productive economy to the unproductive economy to do so. But we should seek to do that minimally because of the very fact that Elon Musk is more productive, a plumber is more productive. And dare I say, Steve, you and I are more productive than the alternative. So uh, tell us about your new book. By the way, I'm talking to David Bonson, who has many books out. One of my favorites is a great book called There's No Free Lunch. But your new book is about the virtue of work. And um, I, I love this book because I've been, you know, great minds think alike. And I've been saying this throughout my life that work is not just about income. It's about being self-fulfilled. And, and you know, uh, I think the evidence is pretty clear that people who start working at a younger age actually are more successful in life than people who start working at a later age. So just tell us why, what motivated you to write this book and uh, what is the kind of most, what are some, a couple of the most important lessons? Well, I obviously agree with the one you just made. I think it's vitally important and is a huge lesson in the book that right now, one of the unspoken things happening in our country, which is all at once cultural, moral, and political is a war on teenage employment. Yeah, and yeah. and I do not think someone enters a job at 25 as prepared and qualified to start a career when they never worked a job at 16. <laughs> right. right. And, and I think that there are life skills that one gets. And this notion, when they talk about minimum wage laws as you have to provide a, a working, full-time, livable wage, a living wage, Bernie Sanders calls it, as if every employee at McDonald's is a single mom raising three kids in a household, it's totally untrue. Part-time workers that are 16, 17, 18 years old are the ones being squeezed out of service jobs, food and beverage, hospitality, fast food. You know, Andy Puzner is your friend and mine and, and uh, was mm-hmm. the CEO yep. of Carl's Jr. He and I were met about this a couple weeks ago. You know what his first job was? He worked behind the counter at a Baskin Robbins ice cream. And, <laughs> right. and, 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 that's, and that's the thing I believe that we're now depriving teenagers of that could go on themselves to be future CEOs and leaders. And it comes down to a mentality that we are losing the American love affair with work, where we used to see it as a blessing. Yes. We used to see it as a source of opportunity and prosperity, and it's becoming something. And the government isn't even auditing where the money goes. That, that is correct, and, and actually even worse than that is Rand Paul made tremendous efforts when the, the first rounds of, of uh, aid was going to Ukraine, and he jumped up and down on the Senate floor multiple times demanding that we do audit the, these dollars, mm-hmm. and they overruled him. Yeah. Why would you not want to have a requirement to audit these dollars? It's absolutely you, insane. You, you know, it's such an important point you're making because I, I have a big doubt about out of every dollar that we begin to Ukraine, I, I, I'm just guessing. I'm not sure, but my guess is less than 50 cents of the, every dollar is actually getting to the Ukrainian people. And so nobody wants to ask the question because they don't want the answer. Uh, sadly so, and you know, let's let's not forget. It's not like these are uh, choir boys. You know that they they were the most you know pure country prior to the war. You know they had a reputation for corruption and yes. for uh, a, a lot true. of you know gray gray type activity. 
Well, Lee, uh, thank you for doing this. Can you report back to us in a couple of weeks about how this is going? Because you, you've really sparked a big debate on this. That's Lee Rizzuto. Thanks so much, Lee. I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, folks, we've got literally two minutes left for, uh, I said I would take a couple of calls uh, on who you think should be the vice presidential nominee. And I want to take at least one or two in the two minutes we have left. Uh, if you want to weigh in, it's 1-800-848-9222, one 800 848-9222. Who do you think should be the vice presidential nominee for Donald Trump? I've said I like, uh, I like, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. I like, uh, I really like, um, uh, I, I think Tim Scott would be a good choice, but Mr. Producer, do we have time to squeeze in one quick call on this? We do. Let's go to, uh, let's pick the longest waiting caller. Let's go to Diane in, in Brooklyn. Diane, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. We only have about two minutes, and I want to get to a couple of the callers. Who who do you like for vice president? Okay. Well, I have to say something else, please. Yeah. What's her name? Huckabee or, you know, her father, Ron? Yes. Huck- what? Hello? Yes, I like Sarah Huckabee. Her, well, wait, listen, let me tell you something. You didn't, you failed to mention that when yes. a, a business person makes a loan from a big business loan from a bank, the bank doesn't care what they say because That's the right. bank has their own appraisers. You see, you didn't mention that. You said, yes. well, maybe Good he point. would, he would diminish it or raise it. He's not doing anything. The bank doesn't care what he says. All right. Great call. We're, I'm going to squeeze in one more if we got one, Mr. Producer, and then we'll, we'll uh, take a break. Let's go to Frank in New Jersey. Frank, I've got literally, 60 seconds. What do you got for us? Just real quick. I think the one point that I think everybody's missing is the case precedent that this sets. That means any person in America today can be turned into a felon if a judge says the value, because they're the sole determinant on the yes. value of your house. They don't care what a professional appraiser says or what the market says. A judge can say your house is worth 50 bucks, and that's it. You've now become a felon. That's and outrageous. That's why this law cannot stand. Is that, but I, no one's talking about the president for everyday Americans. It's dangerous. Yeah, Frank, we're all criminals under this code. I mean, it's, it's the most outrageous thing, folks, I've ever seen. Uh, we will be right back with the pains to tell us what's going with our, on with our financial markets. 